Hey guys, just before the usual introduction comes in, just want to let you know that this has probably been one of the best podcasts when it comes to insights for productivity in business. Um, however, when I was conducting this interview with him, there were some audio issues and uh, laggy issues as well. So my team and I had to cut down quite a certain number of parts and that's why there are some parts that sounds a bit disruptive. Uh, but I understand that this experience won't be as great as the usual and we're actually looking to improve even further down the line and make sure that every podcast episodes uh, will be the best experience for you so with that i just hope that you subscribe and if you don't know by now we are releasing two episodes per week one is a tactical training on how you can grow your business and the second is podcast interviews with living legendary experts so with that cue in the introduction are you unclear about your exact message and impact in this world? When I first started out my entrepreneurial journey, I wanted to help people, just like you. As I just sound like every other person offering services, I earned nothing for an entire year. But I soon realized that in this noisy market, you need a clear message to stand out and a way to amplify that message. It cost me two years and well over five figures just to uncover my hidden message and start spreading it. Hence, it is now my mission to help you uncover your message spread it to the world and start living your legacy. Together, we aim to create a one degree shift to five million people by 2030. Join me in my journey as I interview living legends with life-changing messages that have impacted tons of people around the globe. My name is Darius and you are listening to Live Your Legacy. Hey everybody, welcome to the Live Your Legacy podcast. The goal of our show is to help you live your own legacy by connecting you to people and concepts that have made a tremendous impact on the lives of others. My name is Darius and today's legacy guest was a successful property developer and real estate entrepreneur until the day he was diagnosed with an incurable disease called Crohn's. From there, he decided to use yoga, nutrition and herbal remedies to treat himself and he managed to overcome this disease. And in the process, he co-founded this thing called Less Doing, More Living, a company and blog where he works on making everyday tasks in life and business much more efficient. He's a best-selling author of The Art of Less Doing and The Replaceable Founder. He's also a self-described overwhelmologist whose insights into personal and professional productivity have earned him the title, The Guru's Guru. You can find him on the award-winning Less Doing podcast and the writing platform Medium, where he helps entrepreneurs to find focus, flexibility, and freedom in their business. Now introducing the man who is all about getting you out of the business and getting you working on the business, Ari Maizo. Welcome to show. Thanks for having me, Jared. Okay, great. So uh, I want to dive in straight in, right? And I know that you talk a lot about optimization, automation, and outsourcing from the numerous podcasts I've been hearing you talk about. So let's focus on optimization really for this whole podcast because I'm quite sure that most people listening to it, you understand that in order for you to automate and outsource, outsource you're going to make sure you optimize first, right? So because most people are looking to do step two and step three before the first step. So with regards to solopreneurs or like maybe a two or three man team, how can they actually optimize their work generally? How, sorry, you broke up a little bit on the last one. Say that one more time. So how can solopreneurs or basically teams with two or three people only in them, how can they actually optimize the work that they do? I mean, those are the teams that optimize the most, honestly, because they don't have the resources necessarily to automate or outsource things. So optimization really is about looking at how we do the things we do now. 
and understanding what are the resources, what are the steps involved in doing that. And that sounds very basic. Many of us just don't do that, especially when we're busy and we're overwhelmed. We don't take the time to stop and look at why we're doing it the way we do it. And a lot of times it's just, they just do it out of habit. And we really rob ourselves of that opportunity to optimize. So a lot of it is that, that sort of awareness and identification. And certainly there's an element of tracking that's involved in that to see where your time is going, where your money is going. And there's inherent inefficiencies and duplications and things that we can usually fix just by going through that process. So let's talk more about like SOPs in businesses. Like how do you actually create an SOP so that you won't miss out on anything? Right, because most of the times we've got tons of things that we want to put, we want to like optimize in our business, right? But how do we create an SOP where we won't miss out on the intricate details that will mess up whatever that we do end of the day? Yeah, so the typical way that people will make an SOP, right, is that they'll like record a screencast of themselves doing something and then they'll give it to somebody else and say, okay, now do the process. But there's a huge issue with that. Uh, and the main one is that when we show somebody how to do something, most often we are not unearthing all of the shortcuts and things that we inherently do because we've been doing it forever, right? And a lot of people are just, we're, most, most people are not natural teachers. Like it's a, it's a skill that we need to develop. So what we teach is sort of flipping that around, which is that you record the screencast or whatever, you give that to someone and ask them not to do the process, but to write the process that they saw and write out the checklist and write out the steps. And then once they do that, ideally they give it to a third person who hasn't seen it yet and have them run through it. And it will never work. It never ever works because there's just things that get lost in that sort of translation, but it gives us this amazing opportunity to fix it at each level. Um, and so what we end up with is a process that works not only at a secondary level, but now at a tertiary level. And that is a truly bulletproof process that you can actually show that you can take a really complicated process and have somebody walk off the street and do that process without any errors if you do it that way. And now, so I realized that through your whole process, optimization and all this, you probably learned a lot from the years before you actually got to where you are. So take us back to what exactly got you into this whole thing of like, becoming a replaceable founder or is it optimizing your business? Like what got you started spreading this message in the first place? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I got sick with a disease, but that in itself wasn't the issue really. What happened was that I went from working 18 hours a day to struggling to do an hour of work in a given day. And ultimately that extreme restriction on my time is really what led to everything that I've created since then, all the systems and methods and tactics and processes, because it's a really fascinating sort of intellectual exercise to go through and ask yourself, what would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Because at that point, the question really isn't what would you do, it's what wouldn't you do? And if you wouldn't do those things, but they still have to get done anyway, who or what is going to do them for you? And so, automated outsource really grew out of that and initially less doing personal productivity and over the last several years it's developed into more of a business focused methodology which we call the replaceable founder trying to make everybody as replaceable as possible and the only way to do that is to create systems and processes get things out of your head and create transparency and accountability and communicate properly and ultimately have the processes that will allow your business to scale beyond you 
So how do you actually like come up with the whole idea that, hey, I think that I should be spreading this message to other people as well. Like what was that turning point that made you go like, my message is important and I got to get it out to other people, right? Honestly, I think I was a little more humble than that. I don't know if I had this sort of epiphany where it was like, this is going to be this big thing. And in fact, what happened was I started writing a blog, uh, the West Wing blog, right? And after a few months of doing that, there was a platform that launched at the time, which is now it's still around called Skillshare. And Skillshare basically launches a platform to facilitate anybody to teach anything to anybody in person. And so I was like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try teaching a class on productivity. So I had like eight people, they paid five bucks each. I rented out this room and I, uh, I basically went through like 10 to 12 really cool productivity tips and tools and how I was using them. And the response was really good and I got really great feedback. And so then I started teaching it more and more. And over the next several months, while I was continuing to develop the structure of the methodology, which ultimately ended up with nine fundamentals. And uh, I was teaching every week at that point, I got to the point pretty quickly where I was teaching 40 people at 50 bucks a piece, you know, like every week. And it was a really popular class and I was enjoying it and it was fun. And I filmed one of the classes and that became the manuscript for the book, the first book. And then after one class one night, I think I'd been teaching for maybe five, six months, somebody came up to me and they're like, oh, that was so great. Thank you. You know, that was what a great class. Um, do you do private coaching? And I had never done coaching before. And I said, uh, yeah, I do. And this is how much it is. And this is what we're going to do. And we'll meet twice and blah, blah, blah. And so I started coaching. And then after every class after that, I started saying, you know, by the way, I have private coaching. And I picked up several clients. And over the next you know, couple of years, I did hundreds of hours of coaching and made lots of mistakes on the way and really learned how to do it and how to read people and how to help them. And uh, eventually that turned into like a structured coaching program and a mastermind and so on and so forth. So it's actually quite interesting, like how you probably like, you didn't actually intentionally want to step into it, but it's more like you stumble upon the whole, like how you just went in and charged five bucks. Well, that's actually really humble beginnings of charging five bucks for class. Now, I understand that, you know, you have this whole story uh, and you just said, you know, going through that journey of from being really humble and going to where you are right now. But what do you think was really the key determinant that helped you keep going up and up and up? I mean, there could have been a point where you said that, you know what, I think I'll just stop at teaching. But what made you go like, you know, I think I want to help uh, more people and want to help uh, people at a higher level as well. So it was a very specific thing actually that happened. Um, so I, I had written the book and I was doing the coaching and uh, I think that I was still doing one-on-one -on -one coaching at that point. I hadn't started my mastermind yet. So it was, it was very comfortable. Like it was a very, it wasn't growing. I wasn't really, honestly, like I, I feel like I wasn't really trying to grow a business per se. I was just doing something that was fun, you know, and enjoyable and that I was getting better at. And uh, my very first book, the cover, it's just a little dog out here at my cover. Uh, sure. Quote, <laughs> an author named David Bach. Uh, and David wrote a book called The Automatic Millionaire. He's a, I think he's like an eight time bestselling, New York Times bestselling author. And I just happened to meet him through a friend and I ended up coaching him. And so he wrote the quote for the book. So I 
am at my house. It was like a, it was a June something. It was in the summer, and I got a call, uh, and I got a FaceTime video call from a number I didn't recognize. You know, and that doesn't really happen, right? You might get calls from like regular calls, but you don't get like a FaceTime video call from someone suspicious. you never met. Yeah, so I answered, and it was this guy named Joe Polish, and he's like, "Hey, Ari, I'm Joe Polish. Do you know? Do you know who Joe is?" Yep. <laughs> yeah, okay. I heard a lot, a so lot I, of him I, from a lot of other people. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I didn't know who he was, and he's like, "I'm Joe Polish." I was like, "Okay, you know, hi." And he was like, and he's like, "I'm here with David Bach," and he showed me that David was there. I was like, "Oh, hey, David," and he's like, "David gave me your book." He's like, I love it. And he showed me that he'd like put tabs on like every other page and he'd really read and like highlighted and stuff. And he's like, you have to come speak at my event. Like, uh, okay, I, you know, sure. Like what, fine, uh, when's the event? He's like, it's next week in Phoenix. And I was like, um, all right, let me try to figure this out. You know, I, I had two young, or three young children at the point, at the time my wife and I were at home with them. And I said, okay, fine, sure, great you know let's do it and i didn't know anything about his group is called the genius network i didn't know anything about him or anything and so uh they arranged the tickets and everything and i i, I basically got there like really late the night before i'm supposed to speak so i, did, I just got, went right to my hotel room went right to bed and i got up in the morning ready to go speak and so i show up at the the room where you know we're going to do the talk and i start to see some people that i recognize uh, like Dave Asprey, the Bulletproof executive, uh, Steve Sims from Blue Fishing, Tim Ferriss from the 4-Hour Workweek, right? Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach, like titans of industry, right? And some of like the most successful entrepreneurs I've heard of ever. And I, again, I had no idea what was going on here. I was like, I'm speaking to this group, you know? <laughs> okay. So I go up, I give a talk and I gave a talk about a podcasting process that I had built, an automation basically process that I had built out of from scratch. And I got off the stage and people started coming up to me and like telling me that that was like game changing and they'd never seen anything like that before. And I was like, holy cow, like this is okay. And uh, I met just some of the most, oh, and uh, Damon John was there, you know, and like just incredible entrepreneurs who were all giving me this really amazing praise. So I was like, okay, you know, maybe this is something, you know, real, but uh, that was a real turning point for me. And I, and I always credit Joe with this. He was an incredible uh, launching point for me and, and a mentor in many ways. And so uh, after that, I just, I was asked to speak at all the other events and I started working with several of these really amazing entrepreneurs and I had them on my podcast and involved in all sorts of different events and things like that. And uh, it really grew from there. Like that was, that was the, the, the big, big turning point to me. That was like a really interesting proving ground that this system that I made up, you know, had some real validity to it. Well, that's actually interesting. Like that was like the platform that launched. Now, <laughs> very interestingly, you said that you had like, you just went there casually. Do you actually like knew that you were going to do like a keynote speech or was that like your first time or whatever it is? What, what, what was it like? Um, I had, that was the biggest room that I had spoken to up until that point. Uh, and I, since then I, I, it's been really great. I mean, I've, I've spoken all around the world, thousands of people, like it, that was a really big sort of turning point for me. But, but, but up until then it was, you know, like groups of 20 to 30 people, you know, in, you know, converted offices and things like that. Nothing really special. 
Okay, great. So um, now that now we're talking more of like a story side, let's go back down. Like just now you were referring to the whole nine principle thing, right? In your book, right? So I'm not going to go through all nine principles. <laughs> For those who want to know the nine principles, which were game changers to all his participants, go and get his book. I'll leave all the links below as well. So actually I want to elaborate more about how you are actually like a huge fan in, when it comes to structuring. So how do you actually organize and structure your Trello bots? What's in my opinion, the only really effective way for a human to organize tasks and projects, which is the Kanban method. And that is a Japanese methodology of essentially lean manufacturing, but it's really lists that represent various phases of the process. And to, at the most basic level, what you need to have is to do, doing, done. Now, they don't actually have to be called that, right? And you can have 20 phases, but as long as it sort of follows that arc, that there's things that you have to do at some point, there's things that you're doing now, and then there's things that you've actually completed and, and, and done with that sense of movement is really important. It's very dynamic. And that's, so that, that's, for personal board, it would be that, to do, doing, done. But for like a business board, it could be literally like annual, go um, annual goals, quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily, uh, in third party hands, done, right? But it's still that, you know, general art to do, doing, and done. And we move things through that. We have one owner of each task. We have deadlines on each task so that we know when things are supposed to happen. And most importantly, conversations can happen where the task is being handled. Uh, so it's very topical. So you're not using a communication tool like Slack or email or something like that for managing projects because it doesn't work very well. And just now you're referring to like, you know, do, doing, done. And I also know that you dislike to-do lists. So how do we actually go about planning our day then if we don't use to-do lists? Well, so that's, that really, that, that structure is a big part of it, right? The, one of the big problems with most people's to-do lists is that they're like these vertical lists and the brain just doesn't work that way for the most part. And, so, and also they're very static and there's a whole sort of psychological background as to why they don't work very well. But the, the answer to that is generally to have this, this sort of trouble list. But as far as like how I plan my day and week, I, I'm really relying on Trello for the most part. And when you have a team or even a spouse that you're doing it at home, when you open up the possibility for somebody else to start assigning tasks to you, might, that sound, a lot of people might hear that and be like, oh my God, that's terrible. I don't want people assigning things to me. It, it actually works quite well if you do it in a structured manner. And so I'm able to look at my Trello board and be like, all right, my COO gave me this video that I have to make and my coach uh, gave me this form I have to review and I'll do it. So in some ways it feels a little bit reactive, but it's still done asynchronously, meaning that I can really do it at a time that works best for me. So uh, I, I'm in trouble a lot. Like it, that's, that's my sort of like source of truth. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing us like your Trello hacks. I think I'm going to implement it as well, especially the do doing done. I think that's pretty, pretty impressive. I think it's quite close to the scrum board. Am I right? Have you heard the scrum? Um, in some ways, I mean, we're not doing points or things that, right. We're not, we're not doing points and we're not doing sprints, but uh, you can certainly, uh, Trello is really well designed to do scrum. What is actually your habitual routine? like from morning to night, because I know that for people who are extremely structured, because I'm also a pretty structured person, when I wake up, 
I know immediately like I'm doing Wim Hof breathing and immediately I'm doing planning. And after planning, I'm gonna do a meditation and, and, and it's one whole structure. Like my first more first hour in the morning is always the same thing every single day. So what are actually your habitual routines from morning to night? Um, is it fair to assume you don't have kids? Uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. So I have four small children, eight and under. Uh, so there's no morning routine happening in this household. We wake up and I'm getting lunches ready and breakfast ready and chauffeuring and tailoring. Basically, we're getting kids dressed and putting shoes on and getting them to school at various times and places, especially right now with distance learning and stuff like that. So uh, there's no morning routine for me at all. Uh, and, and that's something I've talked about actually quite at length. The morning routines are wonderful if you can do them, but if you can't have a morning routine, it's not gonna mean that you can't be successful, which I think is some people put that idea on a pedestal too much. So that's not so much routine. Once the kids are at school and doing their things, then I start with Trello and I see what, kind of what I have to deal with for the day or for the week. And uh, I'll take care of that as much as I can. But I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing more than an hour of work on any given day, you know, and that, that would be a lot, honestly, for me. So if I'm producing content, that might be a little bit more, but I don't really think about his work as much. And I love it. Like this kind of what we're doing right now, this is fun for me. This is not what I would consider work time. So actually I think hours may be generous. I probably do a lot less than that in terms of actual work work because I've got a great team and I've got systems in place and I've set up the right barriers to protect my time and attention. Now, I think everyone's going to be very interested ever since you said <laughs> that working one hour, more than one hour a day is already something that's uncomfortable. <laughs> so walk us through how, how on earth, like I'm quite sure when you started out, it's going to be like five days of work week or whatever it is that previously when you started out, right? How did you slowly like that made that transition? Not so much of like, oh, what structures are in, are in place, but more of what was that whole process of transition from, you know, in terms of uh, yourself and your mindset of how you actually started to reflect and go like, okay, from five days, we're going to translate all the way down to uh, less than even an hour a day, right? I mean, the, the thing is, is, and this, this goes to the optimization idea and tracking and awareness. Most people just waste so much time during the day. There's so much wasted time in what you do. And a lot of that waste of time actually is in communications. So there are, uh, if you think about the number of meetings that people have and people, it's a cliche at this point to talk about how, you know, inefficient meetings are. But the truth is that it's not the meetings so much that's the issue. It's the idea that we need to have synchronous conversations about all sorts of things. That's one of the biggest problems. So obviously what you and I are doing right now, this is synchronous. This makes sense. We're on a podcast. We need to be able to read each other's faces and intonations and have a good conversation. That's totally fine. But to have a conversation about, you know, what CRM we should be using in the company to take people's time at the same time, right? Which has, there's a multiplier effect. If you take two different people who are on different schedules and you bring them together in a room to have a meeting, you're creating a ripple effect that will really disrupt their productivity. If you allow more of those conversations to happen asynchronously, not only does it take less time, but it also happens at a better time. So for example, we use an app called Voxer pretty religiously. Voxer is a voice communication app primarily. You can do texting as well, but, uh, and it has some really distinct advantages over things like WhatsApp or iMessage. And one of them is in the, the time of transmission, but 
regardless, if I get off this call with you and I look at my Voxer and there are five Voxer messages, three of them are from clients, two of them are from team members, and each one is roughly two minutes long, right? So that's 10 minutes of audio. First of all, I can listen to it at double, triple, or even quadruple speed. So let's say I listen to it at double speed, right? So that's five minutes to listen to five conversations. And then let's say that I can respond really effectively to each of them in a minute, which I think would be a lot, but let's say 30 seconds even. So it takes me 30 seconds to respond to each one, right? So that's two and a half minutes. So now we're saying seven and a half minutes of audio has been exchanged and time has been used. I've had five conversations and enabled those five people to either get their answers or continue to move forward in what they need to do. And maybe I responded to them four or five hours later when I was on a break and I felt like I could really digest what they had to say and think about it and give them the absolute perfect response rather than just trying to get off the phone because I'm annoyed because I'm hungry or something like that. Right? So, when you think about it that way, and you look at the numbers, right? So seven and a half minutes for five conversations that enable people to move forward with what they're doing. Normally, those five conversations would have at minimum, you know, if you take 15 minutes each, but a lot of times people want to book half hour, even longer calls, let's say half hour. Normally, that would have been two and a half hours of time. So that's a big problem. That's the biggest problem is that people waste a ton of time and a ton of that time wasted is on communications. Okay, guys, this is like the first time on the podcast or maybe one of the first few times I got chills because I think that analogy is so important. I think uh, we don't understand, like, you know, usually we talk about, oh, when you go into meeting, you're going to waste an hour meeting, but everyone's like, oh, okay, one hour, one hour, right? But when you use that, oh man, can I have your permission to use that Voxer example in the future? <laughs> that was golden. <laughs> Like, I think when you put in that whole Voxer um, perspective and you boil it down to like, you know, you can actually reply five conversations in seven minutes. And I'm super guilty. I'm still having chills now because I'm super guilty for like, you know, going on calls. Usually I'll say like, okay, it's a pretty short one and it's five to 10, and usually like five to 10 minutes or five to 15 minutes per person. Then I realize like, oh man, this guy is answering five questions. Or, or maybe like four or three or whatever it is, right? five questions, five conversations, five different conversations in seven minutes when I'm having one conversation in 15 minutes and I thought I was productive. And then I realized like, wow, the whole point of communication is, wow, like that, that brings a whole new perspective on how efficient things can actually get. So I really want to thank you for this. And all those people listening, I think this is really mind-blowing. The whole Voxer part is probably worth uh, a few hundred bucks raised. <laughs> Well, let me, let, me, let me give you one more thing about that, right? So the other thing that it really is great for, because some people might say like, well, then, you know, that might affect team culture, right? If we're not having those in-person meetings and those face-to-face -face things, things like that. My COO is, uh, she has a military background. She's very, very detail-oriented and she likes to think through things really well, which is great because I don't have those qualities and you, you need that to some extent in most companies. She sent me three Voxer messages last week that totaled 20 minutes in length. She sent me 20 minutes of audio that she just talked and she got to get all her thoughts out and really like weigh the pros and cons and nobody was interrupting her. Nobody was staring at her, looking at their watch. I didn't have to take 20 minutes out of my day to do it because again, I listened to it at double speed. 
I listened to it while I was in the car and I thought about her issue and it was a culture question that she had about uh, how to structure some things in the company. And I was able to think about it for I think three or four hours and it was in the back of my mind and I was really ruminating on it. And I responded to her with a two minute audio message that was exactly what she needed to hear. So not only is it about creating more efficient conversations, but honestly, it creates the space for people to really freely express themselves, knowing that the other person can listen to it when it's, when it's best for them and respond with a thought out answer rather than just being on the spot and being like, oh, no, you should do it this way. I got to go. I think that brings in another insight towards like, I think because right after that, I was about to follow up with does that affect culture, right? Because people like the interpersonal connection. But I think you kind of answer it in that way. Uh, but let's say if it's a really like, let's say if I am, let's say if I really want to get to know like my team members really well, right? Then weren't that, I think one of my concerns after that would be like, if I keep doing such a short Voxer messages and things like that, then do you actually set aside time for like team boarding or things like that? Or do you not do that? No, I don't. And the truth is, is that all the people on my team, all the, I, I just happen to have a team that's all like stay at home moms with kids and they don't want to waste time. They don't need to do team bonding. We all get along really well. Uh, we have lots and lots of Voxer conversations. My, my COO sends me boxers sometimes that have nothing to do with work. They're just like, oh my God, this happened with the kids today. I was doing this and this because she knows that it's not going to bother me because I can listen to it whenever I want. It's not like, and so it creates a really great outlet in some ways and allows us to connect more. But also the fact that we're using voice for the most part, not text is really key too, because I think we'll discount that sometimes you get so much readiness from hearing someone's voice, right? Because somebody could get on Voxer and be like, uh, you know, uh, I've got, a, they could say this, they could be like, I've got a lot going on today. It's going to be, you know, like it's this, 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 and this, or they could be like, I've got a lot going on today. And it's this, and this, and this, right. In text that wouldn't show any difference, but in voice it does. And there have been several times where I've heard a voice message and I then sent a private message to that person been like, Hey, is it, you know, everything okay? Like, how can I support you today? Uh, so it does actually help us stay connected in that way. Um, I see my team in person maybe once or twice a year when we do an event, which we're not doing right now, it's all virtual because of, uh, because of COVID. So um, that's, you know, oh, and, and also we do do a, a weekly, a one hour Zoom huddle once a week, uh, but that's, that's pretty much the only real face-to-face. -face. And so what do you actually do in this uh, one hour Zoom huddle? We go over the Trello tasks that have been completed over the past week and the ones that are, we're going for the next week, just to give sort of a strategic context to what we're doing uh, for the most part. And that's it. But we also do a daily stand-up that is asynchronous, right? So we have a group Voxer and every morning there's a message that pops up, an automated message and says, hey team, it's time to check in. What are you working on today? And what is your biggest obstacle? And all four of us check in and because you know it's a small team, but Sometimes we all check in in 20, 30 minutes, you know, so like by 8.30, everyone's checked in and sometimes we're busy and they don't check in for three or four hours. But every single day, we're all getting on the same page and letting each other know what's going on and where we might need help. Wow.
Okay, I'm getting really a lot of insights I'm going to implement in my own team, <laughs> especially in regards to a lot of, uh, of optimization, right? So really want to know what are your top tools that you use in order to run a productive day? Now I heard Voxel, I heard Trello, what other tools you recommend for a productive day for your own personal life, not for business? Well, I actually use Voxer with my wife too, so <laughs> uh, yeah. It's nice to sometimes be able to use, well, two things. One, it's nice to be able to use voice instead of texting uh, when we're not together and we need to have like quick things about the kids or things like that. But also like if, rather than like yelling across the house to each other, like we use it almost like an intercom sometimes. So, um, I, but I also use Trello personally. And the, uh, so Trello and Voxer would, those are like my go-tos. Those are, those are huge for me. And without that, they would, be difficult to be as productive as, as I am. Uh, but other than that, there's a tool called intercom that we use really effectively with the team, which is a sort of a shared inbox basically. So we manage email as a team for the general inboxes, like the help at us doing and support at and those kinds of things. Uh, we use Slack and because we use several communication tools for very intentional specific kinds of communication, no individual, communication tool is ever overloaded with stuff. So uh, a lot of it really, a lot of what we do really revolves around communication. But I would say in my personal life, the number one tool would be Google Calendar, honestly. And I use the heck out of Google Calendar. I think I have 15 calendars in Google Calendar, everything from mine, my wife's kids stuff, individual calendars of the schools that uh, the calendar that is for the team sales calls, like all of those mesh together because ultimately uh, I want to be able to look at my calendar and know what's happening that day. And that's more pressing in many ways for me than what's on the to-do list is really how many my time today. I totally agree with that. I use Google Calendar extremely religiously as now, like hour to hour, everything is on Google Calendar. <laughs> so you mentioned about Slack just now. So you use Voxer, but then you use Slack. So what do you actually use do on Slack then? then? So Slack is really, and it doesn't, now the tools are not as important by the way, because you, like somebody could use a different tool. So I'm not being tool specific. I love Trello, but you could get away with using Asana. You could use other tools. It's really about how you use them. So for Slack, Slack is our procedural communication tool. And what that means, it's really just information that people need to be aware of. We're not having big brainstorming conversations. We're not doing emergency communication. We're not talking about projects. It's more like, hey, everybody, the next workshop is going to be September 21st. You know, who's available? Yes, 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 right? Like, or, um, hey guys, this is the new website. Just so you know, like that's not, we're not, you know, going back and forth on the colors about it in Slack, but it's like, this is the new website. Here's the latest video that Ari just made. It's just things that people need to know and be aware of. Oh, okay. That's an actually interesting one. I guess I'll implement that in my tears. Well, I'm, and this has been like the episode where I got probably the most implementables. I mean, every episode I got something new to implement, but there's quite a lot of things over here. And these are, in essence, for those listening, right? Actually, what he's saying are pretty basic. I mean, if you think about it, it's a lot about optimization. But sometimes, sometimes. we skip too much basics that we forget, like, hey, that there is actually a way of optimizing this process that, you know, like what they always say, you know, what's commonly known isn't commonly practiced. So <laughs> these are 
but I think the Voxel one is probably the first time I heard it and I didn't really hear it from anyone else. So the Voxel one, the analogy was really, really very spawn until now I'm still like thinking about it. <laughs> so now we move on to like the legacy segment. And so there are a few questions about uh, all about legacy. So first question is really about what's your own vision for the impact that you actually want to have on this world? Well, uh, I, I believe that people are overwhelmed way too often. And the extreme sort of version of overwhelm that we see far too often is when people get to this place where they feel like no matter what they do, they're going to disappoint someone, whether that's their team, their family themselves, right? They just, they can't make a move that's going to make everybody or that's not going to hurt somebody. And that's a bad place. And it's, we see it all the time. And I really want to try to fight back against that because I believe that most entrepreneurs that I interact with, most people honestly have all the ability within them that they could ever want or need, but there are things that are blocking them and getting in the way. And most often it's themselves. So I really want to be able to get people out of their way because I think it's going to make the world a better place. And so what do you continue to commit on a daily basis just to meet this um, vision? So every process and every method tactic that I've ever come up with has been a result of solving my own problem. And I've had a lot of, fortunately in some ways, I've had a lot of problems to solve, right? I had an incurable illness to deal with. I have four young children, right? Which in fairly rapid succession, we've moved five times in the last six years. Uh, there's all sorts of things that have created additional stresses and I think not to toot my own horn, but I think that would have broken many people in a lot of ways. And I've always tried to figure out a way to sort of overcome that. And those have served as the foundations and the basis for the things I teach. So not only do I teach them, but I live with them. And my responsibility in many ways is to keep putting myself in harm's way, right? So I can figure out new things to solve. That's great. That's totally great. I mean, in order to teach someone first, you first gotta implement it yourself. So throughout your whole journey, through your productivity or be it from young until now, right? Who was the most influential person you actually look up to in life? And why was it that person? You know, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one person, quite honestly. Uh, because of Joe Polish, I have been exposed to a really amazing network of people and entrepreneurs who have in many little ways contributed to my success and mentored me. And so those, every, so Joe, Dean Jackson, Dan Sullivan, Cameron Harold, Dave Asprey to some extent too, many, many, many more uh, through that network. It really all comes back to Joe in a lot of ways. He's just this unbelievable connector. Tony Robbins even, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to work with Tony Robbins because of Joe. So it's, it's really a group. It kind of depends on what's happening at any given time. <laughs> okay, great. So where can others connect to you and learn more from you? So everything is at lessdoing.com. We're actually in the process of completely redoing the website. It's going to be really awesome, hopefully the next few weeks. But right now you can go to lessdoing.com. I'm uh, at Ari Mizell on most social networks. And we have a really great free Facebook group called The Replaceable Founder with about 3,000 people in it right now. And I usually, that's the first place I recommend people check out. There's great resources, great interaction and conversation happening there. 
and they really thought out what we do. And so one of the last questions is, what does living a legacy mean to you? So that a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs look to their businesses to provide a sense of fulfillment in their life. And I don't believe that any business can do that. So it becomes this sort of never ending journey of wanting more and trying to get more. And so I think that businesses provide a lot of intellectual fulfillment. I think that they can have massive impact on people, which is not to be discounted at all. And, and if that's what you want to do, that's important. And it is something I want to do. So that, that's a really important thing, but the business does not provide that fulfillment. So you need to find something outside of your business that does provide that sort of fulfillment. Um, and, you know, it might be family, but that's probably not enough either. So there needs to be some sort of passion that you don't get paid for that is outside of your business that really does that. And I've been very fortunate to have that too. And so what would you say is your passion that's outside your business? So I, I, uh, I volunteer as a, an EMT um, and I've been doing that for about nine years now. So I've worked on four different ambulance companies. I've literally you know, saved several people's lives and it's, I've almost delivered a baby once, got really close. Um, it's been a really, really incredible journey and incredibly gratifying and humbling. And it's something that I just, I, I love it so much. Um, and so that's, that's the main one. And then in addition to that, I've, I've, over the last several months, I've actually gotten really into woodworking. So now I build all sorts of things all the time. And, you know, both of both their like skill sets that you can just never get too good at, which is a, which is a really good thing. So, uh, those are my things. Oh, that's really interesting. So, last question is: What's your best advice or tip for someone who is looking to make an impact across the world or wants to start living a legacy? I think that. <sighs> If you try to solve a problem, and I and, and people probably heard that before, you know, entrepreneurs sort of have that idea of things, but I, I really think that that's a big one. Like if you try to solve a problem that you're facing, then that's all to me is like the easiest path to having a great impact because, and not to discount it, but you certainly have entrepreneurs who, who see an opportunity, you know, to do something and make money off it and do something better. And that's great. And that creates jobs and maybe creates some value and helps them. but it's not quite the same thing as somebody who is trying to really solve a problem that they're facing, you know, and you can think of examples like, uh, like the life straw. That's a really cool company. They make this straw that is, that can filter out, you know, toxins in any water. And now they, they donated hundreds and thousands of those to, to people in areas where they don't have clean water. Uh, but I, I think that the guy was, you know, like a survivalist basically and, and designed this thing. Right. So, if you really are passionate about something and you create something that genuinely solves a problem and there's so many products out there that don't do that. Right. But if you do that, I think that that's one of the best ways to really have a legacy because nobody's legacy in my opinion should ever be like they, they made a billion dollars. They were the, you know, the richest person in the world. It really is like, uh, you know, they changed the way we did this, something like that to me is a greater legacy. And so right now I'm trying to change the way people relate to their businesses and ultimately have more fulfilling lives. Oh, I agree. I think I really like, I really like the, the last point where you say, um, 
if they change uh, the way that something is done. I think that's a very definite way of knowing whether you have actually had a significant contribution which changed the whole approach of it. So thanks for being on this podcast, Ari. And for those people who want to learn more about this awesome human being, just head over to lessdoing.com and the socials is down in the link below. And if you like this episode, do make sure to subscribe, leave a review and yeah, download all of our episodes if possible. <laughs> but yeah, th- um, till the next episode, guys, start living your legacy.